Plus Ultra. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Kyle. Thank you for checking this out. Super Dope Plus Ultra. Joined today by my friend, Feds. What's up, hey, guys? What's up, Feds? Not much, man. How you doing? Pretty GD great. Good. Uh, we are here today to talk about the new My Hero Academia movie, Heroes Rising. So I did have a couple of people actually say to me, uh, namely Jimmy's girlfriend, Sam, last week yeah. when she was very drunk. Uh, she's like, listen, I really want to see that movie, but I guess it's all sold out. Uh, if you guys talk about it on the podcast, don't. <laughs> I don't want you to spoil it for me. I'm like, uh, here's the thing. Just we're going to talk about it. Just don't listen. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. It's that easy, folks. It really just don't, is. Just you've, don't listen. You've got the option to bow out of this podcast now. If you have not had the opportunity to see the movie yet, if you're not all caught up with the anime, um, there are even some things in this movie that tread lightly into some spoiler territory for the manga. I don't know how much of that I want to reveal for you, though, Feds. Please don't reveal anything. Okay, I won't. So, uh, My Hero Academia Heroes Rising... Second movie in the franchise. You had the opportunity to watch uh, Two Heroes, correct? Yeah, I did. What did you think of that film? I thought it was pretty good. I liked the whole uh, <clears throat> meeting All Might's uh, former uh, sidekick, right? David Shield, David, yeah. David Shield, yes. He was cool. I liked the gauntlets. That was dope. Yeah, the uh, Melissa Shield gauntlet design yes. is something that I wish it somehow was able to be integrated into the show, but... Fortunately, no. Um, and that's the thing. Going into these movies, as should be expected with uh, pretty much any anime movie, unless explicitly told otherwise, as is the case with the last three Dragon Ball movies, mm -hmm. um, you should probably go into most anime movies understanding that it's not going to be a canon story. It's going to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, some filler stuff. Uh, doesn't mean they can't you know, write, execute, make a tremendous, awesomely entertaining story. And we... Got about 90% of the way there, in my opinion, in this movie. Yeah. I think I did like this movie a lot more than Two Heroes. And yeah, I did too. I think it's because while Two Heroes has young All Might, and yep. I'm a sucker for anything and everything All Might, when it gets to the point of present day in that movie, mm -hmm. you don't get the experience of hanging out with all of the class 1A students. Right. You get a handful of them. You get a few of them relegated to cameo roles. You get a few of them who are just not even really in the movie. Right. Like, I don't think, I think Sato just gets straight up not even featured in that film whatsoever. Yeah, I don't remember him being in the movie, to be honest. So one thing I like about this movie is that it so heavily features all of the students in this scenario, this yeah. like you know filler kind of scenario they all kind of like really get their time to shine you know so even though we're talking about a scenario in which again not canon we should go in there expecting this going through at least the first two acts of this film i'm like oh wow the way that they've written this the way that they've like intertwined parts that we know to be you know have already taken place in the story of the anime or manga respectively they seem like they've kind of gone out of their way in a few different ways to try to fit this into the canon storyline. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I'm like, "Holy shit, is this is this, 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 this going to be part of it? Is this yeah. real? Should I should, should I be taking notes? Am I going to be able to see uh, Katsuma and Mohoro again? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to expect, but 
um, by the end of this film, and we will, you know, I don't want to jump all the way to the end already. No. But by the end of the film, you realize, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, this is not canon. No. It would now be silly <laughs> if it was canon. The last uh, five minutes of this film, um, I don't want to say they were infuriating. That's not the right word. But they took what was a really good start of a film, and then it was they- like lackluster. Not even lackluster. I feel like they kind of took away from everything that they'd already positively accomplished in the film by giving it this kind of meh. And don't get me wrong, meh is not the right word for it. But in terms of meh, how it could have fit into the storyline in comparison to the first two thirds of the movie, mm -hmm. those things fit in beautifully with the storyline of the show. Last five minutes, toss all of that shit out the window. None of this is of consequence <laughs> anymore. So the basic setup for this film is all of the class uh all of the students of class 1a are going to be going have recently gotten their provisional licenses mm -hmm. and they are going to go do some hero work on nabu island n-a-b-u not to be <laughs> not to be confused with the planet of nabu from star wars n-a-b-o-o -O. yes so they're Two going to nabu 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 island and they're going to uh, basically do hero work for its 1,000 inhabitants. Uh, it's a super remote island, very, very, very to, close to nil in terms of crime rate. But mm -hmm. they recently had whatever uh, hero who recently or you know was inhabiting the island for decades and decades prior. Th that person retired. I yep. wish we would have saw that person in this movie. Yeah, me too. I would have liked that. Um, but the students of Class 1A are going to go there for... Did they give us a specific amount of time? I thought it was like like a vac like was it summer or was it several weeks? I'm going several, with several yeah. weeks. I'm going with a couple yeah, of weeks, like probably like a semester or something like that. I don't know. And they basically just you know because expectedly it is a low crime rate in terms of the island. Uh, they're just kind of doing like everyday quote all unquote, the mundane things of day to day life. Yeah, quote unquote <laughs> hero things. Like <laughs> they're saving somebody's day for sure, but they're not saving them from a supervillain. They're saving them from a dead tractor battery, or they're saving them from. Not, not being be able to go to the hospital. <laughs> Just Ida, Ida running that old lady on on his back several times over, man. Like amazing. It's one of the best still shots yeah. in the fucking film. Um, so that's like the general premise of of what the students are going to be up to in this film. But I like that this movie just throws you right into the middle of an action scene. And we get this awesome opening uh sequence from the first three to five minutes of the movie. It's like Rocklock has a fucking Fast and the Furious gang right. in, in the world of My Hero Academia, <laughs> and they're going through like this crazy, I don't want to say highway, because they're like on these two single lane roads, whirling around a mountain, chasing this armored vehicle. Yeah. Several cars, you know, obviously they're souped up monster cars, otherwise this would not be Rocklock featuring the Fast and the Furious, but... <laughs> They uh, are chasing whatever's in this armored vehicle, and we start to see shots of the people inside. And you see that I forget his name in this moment. Uh, the little the little slug dude who was a the a, frog, a, the, the lizard looking guy. Yeah, the descendant of Stan, yeah. who's now yeah. in the League of Villains. Uh, he's driving the truck. It and the vibe of it, especially I think it's because he's the one driving. But it gave me a uh, the vibe of the callback to that highway scene when Shigaraki oh, yeah. and yeah. Overhaul. 
It was and a similar looking truck and everything. Everything about it. So there's definitely some callbacks to that sort of scene, but we know that he's on the truck, he's driving it. We've got Dobby in the back. We've got um, Mr. Copy, whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, Compress. Compress, that's his name. Uh, who else? Is one other person with them, I believe? No, that was it. Is it just the three of them? So they're being chased by Rocklock, several other different heroes. Um, Gunhead, I believe, is in there, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, it all kind of comes to, uh, you don't really know what the villains are trying to keep from the heroes at this point. You kind of get some shots around like it's it's a person, not a thing, and they're right. like in this high security sort of environment in the back of the truck. And man, before you fucking know it, <laughs> who's the guy who shows up and just takes care of this? A total uh, again, Fast and the Furious scene. Who takes care of the Fast and the Furious with like no remorse at all for the vehicle or people inside of it? Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel, aka Shoto's dad, Endeavor. Endeavor <laughs> with the hell flame quirk and the it's just so action packed in the sequence and seeing yeah. him straight up melt the you, people right. inside you the can, truck. You can you feel you get like the true feeling of what his power actually is. You like, just get to see him be a badass. Like, yeah, we've only seen it in very fleeting passing moments. Right, in the anime like fighting the nomus and stuff. That's, and that's one of the only it. things I can namely think of, and like that that shot of him like running across buildings with his. With the heels and his feet, yeah, burning into the sides of buildings so we can run alongside of them. I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> this guy's a badass. So to see him blow up that truck in the beginning of it, obviously, we find out that all of the um League of Villains inside of the truck were just copies made by Compress. So, uh, no, by, not twice. by twice, rather, not yeah, by Compress, twice. by twice. So, uh, we do get to find out what's in the back of the truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, as we mentioned, it's a person, and uh, he's then rescued by his his buds, right? Yeah, um, Slice, Chimera, and, and Mummy. Mummy. So yeah. uh, we got the main dude. We we soon find out that his name is Nine, and his three main henchmen. So let's just jump right into Nine. Then I mean, yeah. Nine. It's not like nine, like German for no. It's nine, like I can have or hold nine quirks and use eight. Is that what it is? Or? No. Well, you have. Uh, you can hold eight additional quirks and and have yeah and have it. your one quirk. So his one quirk. We did a little bit of reading before we hit record. We know that it's weather manipulation. Mm-hmm. So those lightning strikes that we see him do. Uh, fairly early in the movie when he's chasing down uh, Katsuma and Maharo's dad. Yeah. In that city scene, those lightning strikes that he does, that's actual. That's actually his, his actual quirk that he was born with. But he can hold up to eight other quirks. I don't think we see all nine of the quirks in this I don't film, think so right? either. I know that Unless we see- he didn't get, like, actually get nine. That could be it. I mean, it could be he could have been holding a couple of spots open to be able to, you know. As you know, we, he definitely had one spot open to we, get the To cell. get the cell regeneration yeah. quirk, which is ultimately what leads him to Maharo and Katsuma's dad. But yep. um, we know that he had the lightning weather manipulation quirk. That's his main quirk. We know he had that shield yep. that he used to block a bunch of Deku's hits. He he definitely shot some lasers out his fingers. Uh, they have the two dragons. 
things. Oh, that's yeah. that's right. I totally didn't even write that one down. Yeah. It, was, it reminded me the two. It, first of all, it looks like two Gyaradoses coming out it of the does. motherfucking shoulder blades. <laughs> it did. Like that's it, what I thought it was at first. It looks like two Gyaradoses <laughs> fucking. Uh, but also, I got vibes of you know half a Doctor Octopus. Yeah. So essentially, yeah. So that's lightning shield, laser fingers, Gyaradoses out your shoulder blades. The ability to take quirks in and of itself, which is what he was given from all for one, all for one. So, and, and it kind of explains like he doesn't, even though he's got the ability to do this given to him by all for one, he he can't use it to like its fullest extent that all, all for, for one, one could. Yeah. So, and I like that they kind of give him like that built-in limit to, right. and even though we don't ex- understand the extent of his power this early in the film, still, right. the idea that. It's like all for one junior. Right. Mini all for one. Yeah. Um, and we've got mini All Might and Deku. So, you know, putting those two on a crash course, that's that's definitely uh great math for a ninety yep. minute film. Yep. Um so he's got those five things, he's got the ability to take the quirks, and then he's got the ability to I, I'm not even sure if this is a quirk or not, or if this was like a piece of the technology, like the support items that he has. But... It could be, but I, he was using his eyes though, and it, there was nothing covering his eyes or anything like that. So yeah, I assume that it's gonna be a quirk. And he would use those to like identify the people and what their quirks were when he looked at them. Yeah, um, and that was what gave him the ability to discern who their dad was. He takes the quirk, realizes that it doesn't work on type B blood, I believe. No, type A. Ta- type A blood. And he's like, all right, well, this dude's quirk doesn't type work. type B blood. Thankfully, this this poor sap was just FaceTiming with his kids. Yeah. Now we've got pictures of his kids and know their exact location. Thanks, technology. Yep. I'm going to go fuck up this guy's kids now. <laughs> Let's hope this guy's kids uh, bear a little bit more well, fruit. kill a guy. No, you're right. He hospitalized them. There were several moments in this film where I'm like, holy shit. Someone just just died. (laughs) They just committed a murder. And and that was the first one. There's several times where the UA kids, I'm like, oh, my God, they just murdered an adult. Yeah. I mean, a villain adult. Yeah, sure. But still murder. Still an adult. (laughs) Kids should not be killing anybody. Never mind full-grown adults. So we get a little bit of... um, I don't know if we get like context as to what's driving, you know, nine. They do allude to the idea that the only reason that nine is even out there in the first place yeah. is it's because of the doctor's orders. Right. And now that all for one is kind of out of the picture and in jail. Shigaraki's like that guy. He's like, you know, the leader, the the guy on the come up and the guy who's eventually meant to inherit whatever criminal empire the all for one set up for him. But in the meantime, the doctor is calling the shots. And yeah. that's why nine is even out here in the first place. Um, outside of that, you know, we just know that nine is on an, uh, a quest to, you know, restore the world in his own order, like that typical villain shit, his own vision. Yep. And if he just has the ability to get that cell regeneration quirk, he's going to be unstoppable. Right. Where's the only place he can find that quirk, you think? I don't know. Maybe homeboy's kids. Where are they? Nabu Island. Nabu. <laughs> Nabu Island. Nabu Island. So obviously that sets us on a crash course for Nabu Island. So with them on the way, we get to see a little bit more filler time. And and there's what I like about this film a lot is we kind of started it with uh, at the top. Uh, all the characters get 
not only like these little scenes where they're like, hey, look at me, I'm being a useful quote unquote hero here on this island and, you know, relative peace times. But even later on in the movie, when the actual fights start to break out, they continue all of them pretty much. Maybe with the with the uh, the exception of Shoji, I feel like he might be the only one who got a little bit boned. Um, yeah, a little bit. All of the heroes have a pretty mar- not miraculous, uh, a pretty re- remarkable moment. Uh, yeah, fighting against these super overpowered villains. Right. So let's look at them. We have already looked at nine and. You know, the uh, smorgasbord of quirks that that dude has to offer and bring into this uh, scenario. We also see Mummy. Mummy, let's start with him because he is the first villain that I think we really see in terms of the fight against Bakugo yeah. and a handful of other classmates. He's the first one you really see in action against the kids and everything. So. And, and he just wraps some dudes up in some red no, he wraps like Cloth. no. He was wrapping people. It wasn't even people at first. It was like objects. Yeah, it's like mailboxes and shit, and just kind of using them to do whatever he wanted. Right. In terms of the attack, and then he eventually wraps up Bakugo mummy style, and Bakugo has this. It's just funny to see like a red wrapped up mummy that you know Bakugo's inside of it because it like there's pieces of his yellow spiky right. hair like sticking yeah. out of it. And uh, the whole time you're like, dude, I've seen Bakugo get swallowed up by a muck monster in like episode two. So (laughs) I know this mummy dude ain't no fucking thing. And when he does eventually bust out of it because this mummy wrap takes over like inanimate objects, uh, the clothes, the equipment, whatever the person's wearing. And that's typically that's actually what they're controlling. Bakugo somehow manages to blow up one of his explosion gauntlets. And that's what. Is a, uh, allows him to be able to break out and get free. Um, pretty cool scene. A mummy, though, I would say is probably the most disposable uh, yeah, of all these of the, guys. Out of the th- uh, four of them. Uh, let's move on to Slice. Uh, Slice is the only lady among the, the villains. Um, it just seems like she can harden her hair and shoot it out as like spikes or... Mm-hmm. Blades, blades manipulated. Yeah, she, turn, she can turn her hair into blades, and she was firing blades from her hair. And uh, Minnie Van Dan leaned over to me in the middle of it, and he's like, "Yo, look at this bitch's hair, dude. She's carnage." <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of the uh, visual to her hair definitely reminds me of all of those types of you know makeshift weapons axes spears whatever that Cletus Cassidy makes when he's in that uh, carnage symbiote um i totally understand you know why you'd get that kind of vibe um and then the third person or the i guess the fourth person in this group of four outside of nine being at the top i would say this dude looks like or seems to be like we'll call him the number 2 yeah, maybe he's not right hand man. Maybe not in terms of command or anything, but in no, terms I of think like he, he's definitely his right hand man. Power and yeah. overall ability, though. Oh, absolutely. The Chimera. That dude was fucking strong. So you like a band called Chimera, right? <laughs> yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk to me about Chimera. Chimera was nothing like that, dude. But they were he they were definitely as intense as that dude was. I can tell you that. So uh, is it like the Chimera demon has like the ability to? Like, um, what's the word? Like manifest a bunch of different 
things manifest kind of uh, yeah. like Amajiki, just like uh, and they call that out Kirishima, Kirishima said it at it looks a certain right. it looks point. just like Amajiki. yeah he looks like Amajiki right now Tom Amajiki Tom my boy Tom Tom <laughs> Tom Tom uh, Amajiki uh, is called out in this movie so we know that it's after that internship arc yeah and that's another thing that people have been kind of questioning um, if it were to fit in the canon where would it this movie fit yeah and uh, I'm pretty sure that this movie takes place a decent chunk ahead of time than what we're currently seeing yeah, me in the too. anime. So there are certain things that are kind of hinted at there. Uh, there are some characters that are introduced in the this uh, movie that are going to be integral to the anime. I figured. Namely, the only one that I, I know factors in is Hawks. And I know that Hawks... I mean, I know you see when in the opening credits for the current season, you like see like pictures of him as like a little kid. So we should expect... So yeah, exactly. I, I was expecting to see him in this movie. And we know that it's been mentioned at least. We haven't seen it on screen, but we know that Tokoyami's hero internship is going to be with Hawks. It's, right. It's super brief been. mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I do know that Hawks has... And we see it on that opening scene as well. Hawks and Endeavor have a really solid relationship. And we know that Hawks seems to be tracking the movements of Shigaraki and the League of Villains and mm-hmm. what they're up to in trying to utilize uh, Nine and... Uh, he obviously doesn't know to go to Nabu Island, where they're going to go to try to steal this little kid's quirk or whatever. But he's at least like hip to what they're up to. Yep. Which is, I guess, great. So I like that battle scene with Chimera when they first show up and storm the island. Because we're talking about characters who you know, get a respective amount of shine in a moment. And thinking of that battle scene, it's one of the scenes that stands out in my brain on the beach. Yep. And... It's not even like it does anything particularly um, interesting or like over-the-top action-based, but I just love seeing Ojiro, a character who I've openly called Cocktail on this goddamn podcast for the last two years. I've called cosplayers to their face who have worked very hard on Ojiro cosplays. I'm like, yo, what's up? Don't you think his tail looks like a penis? Don't you think that? When he's holding off Chimera, and it's like a combination, because obviously these kids have got no business being able to hold off any of these respective villains by themselves. So you've got that automatic situation of them having to combine powers and be able to strategize and try to be more uh, tactical? Tactical, yeah. Tactical. Trying to be more tactical. Tactful or tactical, either one. You think? I don't know. I'm going with... Tactical. Tactical. Trying to be more tactical with their approach as opposed to trying to overwhelm them with anyone's certain uh, particular amount of power. And we know that Todoroki's there, and that's in our brain as the fan, I feel like that's a that's a pretty real possibility. Like, yeah. come on, Todoroki, just hell flame this asshole. And then <laughs> right? put, put that's him what on I was ice. thinking the whole time. I was like, just freeze this motherfucker. What's he going to do? Yeah, kick him out into <laughs> the ocean. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> Nobody will be any of the wiser. But um, they don't, even though they, they tease that, they dangle that possibility of it there. Ojiro has like a really compelling, interesting fight with him, and he's doing like those whirlwind tail kick dance yeah. things to homeboy's face. Twister tail uh, strike or some <laughs> shit you know, like that. You know better than me, brother. I don't know. Um, Something I, like that. I just appreciate the fact that he had a moment to shine himself because I, right. I, I honestly do feel like Hagakure, the invisible girl, Sato, and Ojiro, I feel like of the 20 students in class 1A, are the students most 
oft forgotten about. Oh yeah, absolutely. So for him to go toe to toe and uh, don't forget about Coda too. Coda's another one that doesn't yeah, get Coda, really talked about. That's enough a good either. point, man. Um, Coda definitely kind of is underutilized in a lot of ways too. But uh, to see Ojiro have this moment where he's going toe to toe with this big, scary, mythical demon kind of creature, yeah. Even though we haven't seen his full mythical, scary demon borderline kaiju status that we'll see in the final act of the movie. <laughs> It was a really cool moment. Um, uh, eventually, you know, as the kids are fighting their respective villains, I, who does Slice fight in that opening fight? Is it? I don't remember. Honestly, I think she was just trying to meet up with Nine or something. And like she, that. I, remember, I remember, I remember a scene her of her fight. like kind of floating and and shooting out her spike things at a long distance at like places where people may be hiding. Either way, uh, we see the students yeah. basically battle these villains to a stalemate. At which point, the villain decides that. They figured out what they need to do. It's time to retreat right now. And they all just kind of turn around and walk away. Like, oh, all right. We figured out what the plan is. Well, no, because it was even in the fight between uh, Deku Bakugo and Nine when they meet up at some point because they're, the, they're going after the kid initially. He uses, he overutilized the power and he was like having like that episode where he's like getting sick. Yeah. So in the fight between nine and bakugo this nine bakugo and deku in the first meeting that's when we get the hint that he's got a limit to how much he can use his quirk openly like a physical yeah. limit and you see him start to kind of keel over in pain yeah not quite junky withdrawals but yeah pretty bad and that's what forces them to retreat that first time yeah and slice rescues him right and, and she's then like, oh, we gotta let's yeah. recuperate let's get out of here let's and, get the fuck out of here chimera's <laughs> like damn it i was about to kill some fucking kids <laughs> So uh, they leave now that the class of, you know, 1A knows that there are these villains trying to capture specifically these two kids. They're like, we better come up with a plan. You know, we don't we're not in a position to be able to just get a pro hero out here to save us. So Yayurozu goes goes ahead and makes a drone. Right. To be able to send to one of the closest islands, mainland, whatever it is. Which is about, they say, six hours, I think. Yep, six hours. And then it will take, you know, six hours for that drone to get there. And then it'll take probably a little more than six hours for a hero to get there. So nobody's coming to save the day anytime soon. Uh, With that said, they decide that, again, going back to being more tactful in how they're planning. Is that the right word? Tactical. Why do I say tactful? I don't know. Fuck. Tactful. Yeah, I'm combining two words. Yeah, you do are. Which two <laughs> words that you know do have some overlap, not quite synonyms. No, not quite synonyms. But they but do they have some mean overlap. the same thing. So now that we know that there are villains on the island after uh, Katsuma and Mohoro, um, they decide that with Momo having with Momo having sent the drones to the mainland to you know request help and backup from actual heroes, mm-hmm. nobody will be coming to save them. Uh, so they have to decide to be more tactical. Tactical. <laughs> tactical in their approach to defending these kids from the villains. They know that they're not in a position to be able to truly defeat and or capture them. But, you know, the best that they can do is buy out for as much time as they can and do their absolute best to keep these kids safe. So they go out to a what was it, a Western Peninsula or some peninsula. Yeah, like on the it was some remote 
part of the island that no one goes to. But there's only one this way castle in. Ru- one way in and one way out. It's like having a drawbridge over your moat, except it's not really a drawbridge, just a strip of land. Yep. Lord. Going to an island. Tracks of land. Except for that little strip of land. It's so the way it's not an island. Deku being the, uh, the Captain America that he is in this situation, um, you know, kind of draws out the plan like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to draw them out. We're going to give them a diversion here, split them up. And then eventually, if we can hold off these three, after we separate everybody, if we can hold everyone off respectfully for enough time, hopefully we'll... Get, get some pros here. Hmm? We'll get some pros here. <laughs> and the idea of, um, you know, the ultimate battle with nine is they already have an understanding that he's got some type of limit to his quirk. Mm-hmm. So even though they know, like, there's no, like, we're very much risking our lives by trying this, but this is what true heroes do. Right. True heroes try to whip some ass. So even though they know that that's on the line, again, just with uh, the understanding that they want to try to tire him out. All right. Okay. I can see this. This is uh, an interesting dilemma for them to overcome. And I I like that they take such, not even in just this movie, but like just this, the series in general, like even though they are students, they always do a tremendous job with continuing to raise the stakes for those students in real life villain situations, but at the same time, tempering the circumstances of that situation. So that way you can say, Oh man, imagine if they were a real hero right now. It's crazy that they're just kids dealing with this. Right. Exactly. But like, there's still somewhere to go up almost Yeah, because you realize that Deku as a young kid is able or any of the classmates, like they're able to handle this as students, man. Imagine the kind of thing that they'll be able to handle when they're adults, when they're a pro and yeah. adult. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of the um. I don't know the the third act of the film. There is let's get these villains to walk into our carefully orchestrated strategy, and uh, then we'll try to fuck somebody up until things uh, until a hero comes to save the day. Yep. Um. We got Chimera versus the Todoroki. Yep. The Todoroki. It was Chimera versus Todoroki, Ida. Who else? I think Ojiro was still there, too. And in that final fight, Sue is there as well. Yeah, that's right. Because eventually, Chimera just evolves almost like a fucking super Pokemon evolution, whatever those are called. Right. Uh, He just grows into this i won't say like godzilla sized monster he's not smashing any buildings but say he's like 10 12 15 feet tall somewhere in that vicinity oh, yeah. i would say that he's grown horns he's got wings he's just like spinning around wings, in a constant like, circle fucking things coming out of his arms just and like shit. spitting purple fire out of his yeah, mouth or whatever like this giant laser beam so uh the kid again what i find interesting about this movie is and what i appreciate about this movie is their ability and willingness to incorporate all of the students in the scenario from the get-go. But even when it gets down to primetime action sequences like this, where it's like, just get Todoroki over here. Just get Bakugo over Just Why doesn't Deku just 100% smash this guy's dick off? <laughs> like Because they don't opt to go about it that way, they choose to incorporate everybody even in the later action sequences. The way that you do that is, all right, four different villains, 20 different students, they're all, you know, not quite pro heroes. So take four students, think about a creative way to incorporate their four abilities and try to figure out a way in which they're going to be able to defeat this super OP villain. 
And in the case of Chimera versus Todoroki and Sue, because Sue was really the one that it comes down to in that. Yeah. They just attempt to tire him out, go a lot of different ways. And in the midst of the chaos of their battle, Asui is putting that toxic uh, poison that she secretes, which is, by the way, something that have we ever really seen her use it? No. I can't think of a time that we have. Kirishima was there too. Kirishima was there. Because if he, he took the blast, because if he'd been with his boyfriend Bakugo, would have been a whole different story against way nine. different story. You know, boyfriend love fucking overcomes any asshole with the ability to hold eight quirks or something uh, like that. Hold eight quirks and utilize nine or whatever it is. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Baku, um, excuse me, Kirishima was there, but Asui really ends up being the hero because she ultimately comes up with the solution to hit him with that secreted poison paralyzing stuff that she can make to paralyze him for a short amount of time but like they're real specific about like where they hit him in certain parts of his body and they're like you think we were just doing those repeated actions because we're dumb little kids yeah we're just trying to get you in the same spot enough times to be able to poison your dumb big old kaiju looking ass (laughs) so i do appreciate like the strategy and the thought that went into defeating uh, a guy like that um then we have uh slice Yep. So Slice is a pretty lady. Um, yeah. Is Slice the one that gets defeated by Mineta? No. Which one does Mineta fight? Mineta fish, uh, fights nine in the beginning. It was oh. him and Achako. Yeah. And uh, and Sero. Yeah. Wow. What a fucking great scene that we glossed over yeah. there. The first that time was... they fight nine, Mineta. Mineta and Sero, I feel like, kind of get a bum deal in a lot of ways. Yeah, me too. But Sero at least has that Spider-Man vibe going for him yeah. with how he can use his tape. Mineta, his whole vibe is I have a boner and I'm fucking short. Yeah. And that's not a good aesthetic that's to have. That's giant purple balls of things. But watching those two, those three work together to be able to smash all of those rocks against nine in that battle scene was awesome. And I'm like, watching it and I'm like, all right, I get Araraka floating the rocks. I get Sero whipping them down. How, What's does, Mineta, how yeah, does Mineta fit into this puzzle? How does Mineta even work into this? And then you watch the action in play, and it's like the rocks fall. Sero whips them. Mineta throws his great burst, sticks all of the things, and then they throw more rocks on top of the... Like, as if to say, like, here's fucking 15 layers of rock. Good luck breaking through this, nine. Right. Do you think you'll break through this? Nine. Nine. Get it, German? No? Yes. Anyway, who fights Slice at the end? Do you remember? It's uh, Tokoyami and Mina. So Mina, that's right. Mina Ashido and Tokoyami have that weird, like, uh, it's like in a cave almost. Yeah. And there's like all the spikes hanging down and and Mina is able to- um, The stalagmites. What? Stalagmites. That's what those are called. What are never- Stalagmites and stalactites. I forget which one is which, but- one More comes from you the ground, know. one comes from the ceiling. So the stalagmites and the stalactites? Yes. Wow, go me. I fucked up a lot of words today, not just in this podcast, but several others. So stalagmites and stalactites, eh? A. Two for two. <laughs> uh, that fight is really cool. I actually... So... Oh, that was one of my like favorite moments, actually, of the movie. What? what? Go, go ahead. All right, so... Like the the fighting's happening, the fight was really cool, but then Ashido's like running around the fucking edge of the I guess arena if you per se. And she gets hit with some some of Spike's little spikes. Uh, slices spikes, sorry. Yep. And uh 
that did not go over well with Tokoyami, and he hmm? raged. So Dark Shadow raged. So bro. as we mentioned, awesome. like we're in a cave. It's a dark setting. We know how Tokoyami's uh, quirk works. And in all seriousness, that moment where Mina Ashido gets hurt, I was real concerned for the the duration of uh, Slice's life. Like yeah. So we're in a dark space already. Homeboy gets angry. I let, and they've done it a couple of times in the anime. Uh, yep. where Dark Shadow basically like kind of like almost coats or like armors or envelops Tokoyami's body and he kind of fights with it around him. So they do that same thing in this scene, but I feel like he's controlled it more though now. You mean in terms of like how powerful it could have been given the darkness of the circumstances? Not uh, just that, but like in the the uh, summer camp arc when it, when you first see it like go berserk. Yep. Tokoyami has like zero control over it. He's just like sitting there. He's a sitting duck. Very true. But in this movie, it looked like he was able to control it a lot more. A considerable amount of time has passed. And yeah. again, we're trying to figure out where this story would fall in line. And I think that it's pretty safe to say that it's going to fall at least a co- like past what we're currently viewing in this school festival cultural arc. Uh, it's going to probably even pass the next arc after that with the the hero work stuff so but we do know that from the last time we saw tokoyami use control of dark shadow he's come a hell of a long way absolutely and he's able to use it in like close-up melee battles it's no longer just exclusively like a long range thing but the thing i fucking loved they gave tokoyami some goddamn wolverine claws (laughs) those were badass holy free holies man especially seeing them go up against spikes uh, slices uh, <laughs> hair spike things yeah. so to have like that back and forth between like the blades go uh, such such a cool scene and ultimately Tokayami overwhelms her but whatever I think it's the fight between Bakugo and Deku maybe breaks the ground open something breaks the ground open yeah and Dark Shadow is revealed to a tremendous amount of light. Right. And that's literally like the only thing that saved that villain's life. Right. There's a, like, they almost fucking freeze Chimera to death once, right? Or they freeze somebody to death almost. No, yeah, they tried to freeze him underwater. Sue like pulls him under the water and then Todoroki froze it, but then he was like, nah, dude. <laughs> there are several attempted murders in this film. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Uh, so that's Mummy, that's Slice, Chimera. Now we're getting to Nine, the final yeah. battle with Nine. Um, Feds, you are almost 100 episodes into the original Dragon Ball series right now. How are you enjoying it so far? I'm loving it, dude. I honestly really do not know why I waited so long. I'll tell but... you why. Why? You got a friend like me who's been fucking babbling about it for 15 years. Yeah, that's true. And you're like... <laughs> Shut the fuck up about the sun. <laughs> or Dragon Ball in this case. But... Don't talk shit about the sun. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so I only ask you that because you've seen the foundational piece of Dragon Ball at this point. Yeah. And you are into a territory now where, and I was talking about that with our Dragon Ball super dope guest that I interviewed earlier this afternoon. Reveal coming at the end of this Patreon video. But there's a certain point in Dragon Ball where like, you can almost kind of like feel the transitions mm-hmm. and the first, you know, handful of for 13 to 15 episodes, it's like very adventure based. And then it's like journey martial art, like the martial arts aspect kind of comes into it, but it's still a little bit like out there week to week adventure based stuff. Yeah. And then at a certain point it becomes what we know today in the current world, not in 85, 86 when it was happening and coming out in the comics, but 
in the current world, we know it as like a martial arts, a, a shonen jump manga. And it's been the predecessor for so many things to have come since, My Hero Academia included. Um, now that you have a foundational understanding of Dragon Ball, I'm going to be real interested to see a year from now when you've watched uh, maybe, you know, well into Dragon Ball Z, maybe you've watched all of Dragon Ball Z and you've got this whole un other understanding of Dragon Ball and then you go back and watch this fight again uh, with Deku Bakugo versus Nine. And you'll, I, I'd be curious to see your the difference in uh, your reaction to it. So watching this battle... Again, obviously, the, the idea is these two kids don't expect to win. They just want to draw this guy to a stalemate until help comes or until he uh, tires himself Gives out, up, yeah, has like, to retreat. Right. Which, by the way, that doesn't happen. No, not at all. <laughs> like, right when he reaches his limit, I'm like, all right, cool, we did it. Hooray. He's yeah. like, no, fuck this. Is, this. <laughs> this isn't even my final form. Right? <laughs> like legit drops like that exact kind of feeling or that exact yep. kind of turn in the and like it escalates like a typical shonen fight would. Um but the idea of him just kind of being tired and not being able to exert his quirk anymore, it just it just goes away in this last battle. Yeah. And it truly becomes like a draw to the finish. Um we do know that even though they got their asses fucked up in the beginning part of this fight, um, we have Shoji protecting the kids at the end of the island and like whatever weird little castle right, looking that, stronghold yeah, thing. Cave, the, the castle ruins, I think it was. Yeah. So with Katsuma's quirk, again, the cell regenerative thing that Nine is, is after the entire movie, um, he's able to help heal Bakugo and Deku earlier in the film but mm -hmm. I think having that moment where the character who again it's just a little kid who we'll probably never see again after this movie nope. but um, having Deku play that quote unquote all might role in that kid's life and being like hey even if you know this kid does have a quirk versus Deku not having a quirk but even if you're in a position where you feel like your court can't be used for something useful in terms of being a hero. There's always a use for it. Still aspire to be a hero anyway. Yeah. There are ways in which you can use it. And this kid has the ability to heal them up uh, before they have to go back out and, and fight nine for the last time. And not just heal them, but like make them strong, like a little bit stronger. Yeah. Like re like restores, but like, I don't know, reinvigorates. Is that the yeah. right word? Like it's yeah. almost similar to the way that a Saiyan has a Zenkai boost. You don't know what a Zenkai boost is, but not yet. Anyways, listener, if you watch, uh, my hero academia and watch my, uh, and watch Dragon Ball and you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you know what a Zenkai boost is. If you don't, troublesome. Anyway, um, them going back to that fight with Nine, right? I forgot about, like, he's hitting them with, like, the lightning stuff and any fights, any hits that they try to get in with the, with, you know, their respective quirks are just kind of being blocked or, like, shrugged off, whatever. Yep. I um kind of didn't consider the fact that it was going to come a point where obviously there's going to come like that desperation point in the fight, but the des him being uh, able to use so many other quirks, I totally spaced out him having these fucking Gyaradoses come out of his shoulder blades. 
So when they pop out, I'm like, oh shit, I forgot about those. And they and they gobble up both Deku and Bakugo. And uh I'm like, oh, all right, here's the low of the low. Here's like, you know, where before they this is basically the moment before they come back and somehow put it all together and win. Um it, the theater wasn't as vocal. No. As I noticed it was. that too. Did you go to? You didn't I see didn't two see heroes. here. I didn't see two heroes in the theater. So me and Carlton, I mean, we did go to bo- fucking Chinatown in Boston. Oh yeah, that probably. And has literally, to do with there was it. not there like there were people standing in the theater. I don't know how, but there were um, so many people that place. And we also watched the dub too. Mm-hmm. And what was annoying about the dub to me was a joke would happen, and the crowd would explode, and all the fucking fanboys would be like, ah ha. Benetta or Aoyama or whoever the fuck they're laughing about. Right. Meanwhile, you've missed like 20 full seconds of dialogue waiting for people to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that was a deciding factor in me wanting to watch sub this time uh, was having the words on screen so I don't have to deal with people waiting to shut the fuck up for a second. But this crowd, for the most part, fairly respectful and there wasn't too many super loud vocal reactions. No, not I wouldn't say any super loud ones. Like there was a couple of like oh's. Like most of the loud reactions came from me. <laughs> like these kids yeah, just committed true. murder again. And I think the, uh, the, the I think the second loud the best reaction I feel I got from our immediate crowd uh, was in this part of the film. Deku and Bakugo getting gobbled up by some Gyarados out of fucking shoulder blade. And uh, they've pretty much come to their end and they're almost, they're right there ready to give up. Yep. And Deku just looks at Bakugo and he's like, yeah, this looks terrible. We're pretty much done for. But uh, (laughs) there is one thing that I think we could do to get out of this. And I just stopped and I'm like, I've seen this movie. It came out in 1995. It's called fucking Fusion Reborn, movie 12 of Dragon Ball Z. I just yelled out loud, let's do the fusion dance. <laughs> and everybody around us just cracked up laughing. So the the testament to uh, the crossover between MHA and Dragon Ball, because it was mostly older people, I dared us. That was the yeah, other thing I noticed, I, yeah. too. Yeah, there weren't the, a lot of young people there. The China, uh, the Chinatown crowd that we watched yeah. it with. All kids. Very young. The majority of people we watched it with, and I'm sure that it had something to do with sub versus dub as yeah. well. A uh, lot of like, Teen, like late teens and 20 somethings yeah yeah it was a pretty cool respectful crowd that we watched yeah. it with but I'm like we gotta do the fusion dance and it got a laugh and then two seconds later Deku's like hey eat this <laughs> <laughs> like basically he starts to describe like how all for one uh, excuse me one for all um, is passed on and um, how the only way for them to get out of this is for them to have two uh, all for ones, one for alls, fucked up. The only way for them to get out of this battle is for them to both have the quirk of one for all. Let's so, touch bloody hands, dude. <laughs> so the second he says that, I'm like, I need you to do something. Eat this. And that was like my third best laugh of the night was yeah. to eat this. And I thought that he was legit going to give him a piece of hair or something, but... Not the case. Nah. So earlier in the movie, or earlier in the podcast, I should say, 
I said, so much of what happens in this film lines up with the canon and the story of what we know in the anime and manga. And then this part just says, hey, you know, I know that you've been thinking about that for the last 75 minutes, but fuck you. This now just became a non-canon story, and here's how. They grab each other's hands. The power is transferred. Okay, even if Deku has the intention to be able to transfer the power just through a simple fucking holding of each other's hands. Well, we both had open cuts. That's is that what, what, oh, that was the transfer I, of DNA? Oh, all right. I didn't even think of that. Oh part. yeah, dude. Yeah, didn't that, even think of that part. Yeah, I was legitimately you can see think, the cut on Deku's finger. Uh, all right, he, cool. had a, he had a cut on his finger too. So that's the DNA transfer. There we go. So even though that happens, and that makes way more sense than what happened in my brain. Um, initially, I'm like, all right, I know how uh, one for all works. Um, does that mean that Bakugo now has the strength of? All of these, you know, previous six, uh, you know, the predecessors of, of One for All, mm-hmm. and and Deku, <laughs> and Deku, yeah, and Deku then says very, he follows up very quickly after this transfer happens. He's like, even after All Might gave it to me, he was still able to tap into the power of it and, and re- use the remaining embers or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'm with you so far. And until you just explained the blood thing, I was even on board with the fucking simple touching of the hands. Thing. Oh yeah, I was even on board with that. Um, that's all good and fine. We now have two uh, all-for-ones. Damn it, one-for-alls. We now have two one-for-alls. And now they're going to go Super Saiyan Blue Deku and Super Saiyan Bakugo uh, against Nine and, and overwhelm him with this. And whatever. They, they, they fucking... The, the coolest part about that battle sequence, in my opinion, and it's also kind of a Dragon Ball callback to the Tournament of Power, but... I won't even call it a Dragon Ball callback to the Tournament of Power. Um, before they even do that whole transfer of power thing is when Bakugo takes Deku. The catapult move. Shocks him at him. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's dope. Straight up. That's an, that's. I would like to think Horikoshi did that from an X-Men perspective. First and foremost, Colossus, Chuck, and Wolverine, the fastball special. But Frieza and Goku have a very similar moment in the Tournament of Power and Super. Um, so... All of those things were just very cool to see. I think that might have been one of my favorite action sequences there, though. Um, but yeah, they continue to, um, now that they're both one for all, Deku and Bakugo, super powerful, super Saiyan types. Yeah, man. They just fucking, just Detroit smash fucking hole in the clouds. Watching Bakugo <laughs> with the power coupled with his, his quirk. Like there were points where like he's just blasting around like he's got like a fucking Iron Man suit on, which he travels like typically anyway. Yeah. But him w- powered up, he was like blasting through the yeah, air, dude. And there are even parts where like you see him melting parts of the ground around him, and like he falls into a fucking hole and has to get up out of it because it's almost like the power itself is. Um, so I won't say overwhelming because he can handle it and he works well with it. Right. But it's almost like way more than he expected it to be. Yeah. And like he wasn't ready. Yeah, he's still like not fully aware of how to use it yet. Yeah, obviously. yeah. Or like even like the extent of its true power. Right. So what I really liked about, uh, obviously they go on to defeat Nine and uh, he fucks off and goes to jail. Um, no, he doesn't go to jail. No, nah. we'll, get to nah, what we'll talk about that after. Yeah, he, he fucks off. And... Uh, Ultimately, Hawks and All Might make their way out to the island, even though All Might can't fight nobody. What the fuck are you going to do? He's, he's going to check on the kids, man. He's going to go bleed on somebody. 
<laughs> no, he, he was going out to do exactly that his teacher duties to you know go check on young Midoriya and all that um, but they Deku's very remorseful and I love the scene so so much because you don't yeah. see a lot of All Might in this movie a little bit at the beginning a little bit at the end and uh, you see the remorse of Deku having been somebody who didn't have a quirk and in his biggest moment of desperation in order to save his life had to pass on his quirk to somebody who's been his biggest enemy and critic. Um, so just the weight of that situation, but them having to relay that information all night, somebody who you know took a humongous gamble. And, uh, and you know, chose given, you over everyone else. Yeah, over over a guy like Mirio. So that kind of guilt when he expresses it to all night is kind of a lot, and I appreciate the moment. And then the movie takes a turn. Yep. So... I already said, I already, um, when Bakugo becomes the one to inherit all for one, one for all, I keep fucking it up. When Bakugo eventually inherits one for all, that's when I was like, all right, we're out. Because Deku will obviously regain this power in some way, shape, or form. Even, again, the assumption here going into this train of thought is this movie could fit into the canon until this final scene. So the final scene happens. Bakugo inherits the quirk. In my brain, I'm like, all right, that means Deku could theoretically give it back. Bakugo could, you know, transfer the quirk back to him. And now Bakugo's uh, fire quirk and the power and the ability in that is rolled up into the power of One for All. That's fucking an awesome little wrinkle into all of it. But, you know, I, I can't really... Um, I don't know. I could have seen a scenario in which Bakugo, having wielded the power, finally had some kind of, maybe not like, but at least respect for Deku and the mantle in which he's carrying. Tremendous amount of responsibility and power that right. comes with it. I feel like that could have happened very, very easily. Um, instead, what they opt to do is Bakugo passes out Um the magic of uh, One for All makes it so that Deku never lost the quirk at all. Like, the transfer didn't complete, I guess. Yeah, because apparently, I guess you got to be, like, breathing when that happens. <laughs> Whatever kind of little fun magic they work in there for the reasoning, it's all fine, okay? If you want to fucking figure out some kind of BS way for Bakugo to lose the power, okay, that's fine. My problem comes with, even if you have this movie, even if you write this movie with the full intention of not having it play into the major story of the man, manga or anime, the way that you make this story a more complete product in and of itself is you have Bakugo remember. And even if it's only limited to like this continuity of My Hero Academia, you know that there exists a story in which Bakugo and Midoriya teamed up to overcome this, basically, again, all-for-one junior, um, all-for-one with a fucking slight um, you know, disadvantage in terms of yeah. the tiredness of, or inability to continue to use his quirk. They teamed up. They didn't get along initially. They saw eye-to-eye. They worked together. They even shared the same quirk of the guy who you know they grew up idolizing and is the reason they want to become heroes. And that could be a very easy, again, even if it only exists in this one parallel universe in which this story is the only fucking thing that happens, it's a more satisfying story for them to 
have that moment, respect each other coming out of the entirety of the story. By having Bakugo not remember what it was like to wield all for one, a one for all and utilize it and just have it be like something that never really happened to him. Yeah. It just erases any possibility of having that moment at all. And I don't know why they did it. They could have gotten away with not having the memory wipe thing. Like it's almost, it's like uh, it was all a dream. You know, you didn't, right. you weren't really that powerful melting the ground around you and fighting these crazy criminals with the powerful uh, quirk of your childhood hero. It's all a dream. Yeah. And you're just going to continue to go about life resenting this one little dickhead you went to elementary school with who's actually very nice to you. <laughs> so that's genuinely my beef with this movie. Everything about it exceeds the first movie, Two Heroes, by leaps and motherfucking bounds. Absolutely. And honestly, I don't even know if I could. I mean, Two Two Heroes is like a very formulaic anime movie, and so is this one for all intents and purposes. But it was a very entertaining one, and I feel like they wove the plot and character themes in better than most. Typical, you know, let's do a one-off slice of life anime movie of a series typically do. I feel like this one exceeds the storytelling aspect and, you know, just tying in the things that we love and care about when it comes to these characters into the actual plot of this story. And we're probably never going to see Katsuma or Maharu again. Um, but having Deku be able to play that uh, senior role to somebody who, you know, is probably more within the the expected demographic of My Hero Academia, a.k.a. a 10-year-old Japanese boy uh, and not a 30-year-old <laughs> white dude who lives in New England. <laughs> uh, understanding that, that character, those characters are probably never see again, you can still understand, respect, and enjoy the story with which uh, they were utilized. So... All that being said, uh, Feds, if you have to, uh, if you had to pick a favorite scene from this movie, what do you got, dude? I think I have to go with the second fight with uh, Deku and Bakugo against Nine. What, just you, that, just the fight scene, the fusion the, dance and stuff. Yeah, that was that you, was incredible. So it was it was awesome to see two one uh, one for alls. So that was pretty awesome. I don't know if I'll go. I think honestly, and it's, uh, I think I'm going to go with the first, the first three minutes of this movie, that that highway sequence was some of the most different and entertaining my hero academia stuff I've seen since I started to watch it. I feel that was was like definitely in vain of like Marvel movies and stuff like that. A hundred percent. They just drop you in in the middle of an action sequence. Right. You don't know what the fuck's going on. You'll figure it out. You see rock lock for fucking three and a half frames. You're like, I remember him from last week's episode. Very cool. And before you know it, Endeavor showing up doing the hero work that you've always kind of wanted him to be able to do without him looking like a sourpuss about all Might. Nah, he's fucking powerful as shit. Yeah, man. Hell flame. Don't fuck around. Um, I don't know what my favorite part would be, but I do enjoy some of the lighter moments for real. Uh, seeing like that initial stuff of 
like them sitting around in the in the UA Hero Agency, just sitting around in like a random house answering phone calls of like you know basically very super minor nine one one type emergencies. Not even nine one one emergencies. Just like my life is minorly inconvenienced. Can you please send some kids over to go help me out? Hey, my my cat's in my tree. Can someone come get it for me? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I, like I enjoy a lot of that stuff, but I think. The Chimera and Todoroki, the second fight. That was a good one, too. Very cool. I do appreciate that this movie went, I feel anyway, went to some, ex- not extremes, but I feel like this movie went through some steps to differentiate the level on which you should look at Bakugo and Deku versus Todoroki. Because going into this movie, it's always been like those three together in my brain. Like if we had to guess their senior year, they're the next big three. Yeah. Who knows if that's how it shakes out. I imagine it will be, but I also have a tough time imagining them not having a girl in the big three. No. And if they do have a girl in the big three, froppy. Yeah. You fucking heard yeah. it here first. 100%. GD. So um, I think some of the favorite pieces for me was was watching sort of – Todoroki, I mean, not being like the central focal point of the the story, but still having some really cool action sequences that stay true to the general monotoneness of his character. Yeah. Um, he's a very monosyllabic type of dude. Um, overall, dude, I definitely prefer Heroes Rising over two heroes. Yeah, you think me too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Cool. Um, all right, so I don't know what you guys felt. Uh, I do know that at least one person, at least the one, left us a voicemail. So I want to take a listen to that real quick. Uh, see if we have any other kind of social media comments to chime in with here. Let's take a listen to the voicemail first. All right, we know that this voicemail comes from the Nerd News Happy Hour, friends of the show. Maybe we got some kind of crossover coming up soon. Who knows? Let me know, Nerd News. Happy Hour Moths. Dragon Ball Super Dope. This is Kalo from Nerd News Happy Hour. What's going on, Kyle and bros? Just want to tell you guys to keep up the great work. We love your stuff. Definitely keep at it. And yeah, we checked out the movie. Oh my God, incredible fucking movie. Oops, can you beat that out? Uh, I won't. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So seeing them both go plus ultra, phenomenal. Finally, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, got a, a spotlight also more than Deku, you know? So that was pretty cool. He got a little taste of that plus ultra. And um, yeah, so does that mean that Deku can't, has multiple quirks? Is that is that is that is that what we're trying to trying to go for? And also, uh, Shigaraki at the end, how does he teleport in there? Ooh wee! Does that mean he has multiple quirks too? Man, oh man! All right, you guys keep it real. Stay tuned. We're about to go live right now at eight thirty. Maybe check us out. Otherwise, big shout out to you guys. It's going out for you tonight. Take it easy. Great voicemail, except we didn't end it with a super dope, which typically tends to be routine here. So uh, the Nerd News Happy Hour. Make sure you guys go check out their podcast as well. Um, That's right, dude. Shigaraki shows up at the end of the movie. Nine does not go to jail. Shigaraki just shows up and fucking dusts Homeboy. Yeah. Like he's a goddamn Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Kind of like in the same vein as Overhaul with the the guy in the hallway. 
Nope, you failed. Fuck you. As far as Shigaraki teleporting in, I didn't gather or think that maybe he had multiple quirks. I was just thinking that Kurugiri probably yeah. teleported him in. Yeah. But I will say, Shigaraki, for like the one and a half scenes that he's in in this movie, he does look pretty badass. Yeah. He looks like he's, he's coming kind of into more, his own. more and more like a villain. Like an adult. Like a, Yeah. Like instead of like an angsty little teen. Right, yeah. He's got like that long red jacket on, and right. he walks around for a decent portion of that scene without a hand on his face. And then when he leaves the building and goes out to go fuck things up again, he puts the hand back on. It's going to be dope. Shigaraki needs some chapstick. Real bad. <laughs> yeah, he's got some chapped ass lips. That's like not even fucking the beginning of it. Um, and then let's go ahead over to our Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram, I don't know what the hell is the matter with you at DB <laughs> super dope. You can also follow us on Twitter, uh, Twitter at DB super dope, the number one. And, uh, let's see Facebook. Not so much. Uh, Facebook's for old people and Nazis. So not that, um, Nick Quattrini did leave us a comment on the Instagram, uh, Nick, we love you, brother. Also, I, I found out Nick is also from Rhode Island. Oh, yeah? Like, what the fuck, Nick? I thought you lived somewhere else, man. Turns out you're from Rhode Island. We ain't even tight like that. What the hell? Everyone knows each other in Rhode Island. Uh, let me see. Nick Quattrini. The movie was amazing. I was a little behind on the episodes watched all day yesterday, and I was at around episode 14 and ended around episode 30. So wait a minute, homeboy. You watched the first 30 episodes and you went into this movie? Ballsy move. Much applause. Except I'm holding a cell phone in my left hand and my right hand is currently curled up on my hip while I'm reading. So I'm not going to applause you for shit. Anyway, carrying on with Nick's comment. I really like this series. Deku is a great character. Wow, you 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 are brand new, man. Welcome aboard. I'm glad that I've talked you into watching this movie. He wasn't always strong, but he had strategy from studying other heroes, and I like that he doesn't always need strength. He can outthink his opponent. I'm not sure if I have a favorite character yet. I'm also terrible at remembering names, but the guy with the shadow bird, easily my favorite in the movie. I also like that everyone was equally important. No character felt sidelined. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Again, proper utilization of uh, of all the characters. Um, all right, well, we appreciate you guys uh, sharing some of your thoughts on uh, the movie with us. If you do have additional thoughts, not only on the movie, but even the general series week to week, we do make episodes uh, week over week for Super Dope Plus Ultra. Give us a call. Leave us a message. We'll play it on the show, 401 401- Two one three nine five nine six four zero one two one three nine five nine six. It's a song now. So now that you know the song, give us a call and let us know what you think. I do have an additional thought. What's that? Aoyama get a lot of shine in this movie. Aoyama, the Mirubodu, the naval buffet laser himself. Yeah, when yeah, he went plus ultra, <laughs> dude, that was dope. All of it was so dope. I, honestly, we <laughs> walked out of that movie at like whatever nine thirty ten o'clock on Wednesday night. And all I could think about was, when am I going to get to see this again? <laughs> I did not get to see Two Heroes in theaters more than the one time. It took several months for me to watch it a second time. This one, I'm definitely going to try to see in theaters again, hopefully. Um, all right. Any other parting thoughts? Mm, no. The movie this, was dope. This movie was super dope. Super dope.
it, make sure you guys rate, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, all the places where the podcasts live. We appreciate you checking out uh, our show and getting to the end here if you were able to. I feel like you probably owe us a review, good, yeah. bad, or indifferent. Um, let us know what you think, and uh, be on the lookout for a couple of additional episodes this week. We'll be covering My Hero Academia episode 83, and and very special interview very special for Dragon Ball Superdome coming up later this week, so be on the lookout for that. Appreciate you guys. Gonna be it. All right. Gonna raise my hand with the peace sign. Federico enjoyed this movie. I did. <laughs>